the idea of entrepreneurship is freedom is so incredibly overplayed. I think it becomes freedom, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 years down the line. But that first most of your life goes into you giving everything that you have to this company. Um, and at some point, whether it's a client facing business, so let's say like even scope 16, it wasn't like we had like so many shareholders or something like VC money or like nothing like that, but you're still servicing clients. And at some point you're low key a slave to your clients. You're like, okay, I need to be on top of all of these calls, all of these things. And it is not freedom. It is probably 10 times harder than working a nine to five job. And like the whole demonization of nine to five, I think is also crazy. I think it's very beneficial for some people and it provides a great perspective even for entrepreneurs. Uh, but the whole idea that I'm doing entrepreneurship for freedom, for like to control my own life and do whatever I want, you will not do. Like you will spend a majority of the very beginning of your life just selling yourself and like slaving away to this business and you'll love it, but it's not, you will not have freedom. Like your family life will suffer, relationships will suffer. This week on Proof of Concept, we had startup co-founder, Disruption Lab Executive Director, and entrepreneur Suyash Agarwal on the show. We started by exploring his journey of how he began his marketing startup as a high school student and where the motive for that came from. We also dove into why he ended up dropping his startup and chose to put most of his time into Disruption Lab, a club at UIUC that develops next-gen technologies for real companies. Suyash highlighted how he strives to see those under him succeed and grow, and how through Disruption Lab, he was finally able to see that. Suyash also ended by talking about his entrepreneurship experiences and how some of them have taught him that entrepreneurship isn't always what it's made out to be. We wanted to add that a lot of you guys are listening but aren't following. If you want to be notified about our weekly episodes, give us a follow. Also, to help boost us in the search engine rankings and help more young go-getters like yourself discover this community, taking the time to leave a review goes a long way. Thank you and enjoy the show. But yeah, I guess like the two things we really want to dive into for this is one, the marketing agency and then D-Lab, which sucks up all of your time now. <laughs> Wait, what does like a day in D-Lab look like? Or I guess like how much is it mostly meetings? Is it mostly... Wait, you want to tell like what D-Lab is a little bit? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so yeah, I'll break down D-Lab. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so technically, Disruption Lab is an arm of the Geese College of Business. Like we're actually like a department under the Geese College of Business per se. Like it's not an RSO, it's not a club. Mm. It's literally just like part of the Geese College of Business. Okay. Um, but it's run primarily by students. We do have staff in the Geese College of Business. We do have like full-time engineers, but it's run mostly by students. The goal of it originally, it started like like early 2020. So it's not been around forever. But the entire point of it was to allow students of our age to actually make impact to clients. Clients was like a very relative term. It could be like professors. It could be huge companies. It could be like it ranges from like even other students. It like ranges from like startups to like the biggest companies you could ever imagine. And the point was to like use disruptive technology and that the definition of that has changed every year, every semester. Right now, AIML is the biggest thing. Back when it started, blockchain was a lot bigger. Um, but use that, build prototypes, build real software and actually impact these clients with these disruptive technologies because a lot of the time they can't dedicate their own resources to it. So like, for example, one of our clients is AMD. If they want to put together a whole team of AI engineers to test something they're just exploring, it's just not cost efficient. Like there's no value to that until it reaches a certain like prototype level. 
And that's kind of where we come in, where we build that prototype. We do the exploring with their support, of course. But then once we've like built something, they're like, okay, now we can dedicate a whole team to this. We'll take it in-house and then we'll build it out. So like it ends up on their product roadmap. But yeah, yeah long story okay. short, that's deal. Because <laughs> I, it's good you did that because I was like explaining to my friend the other day what exactly it was. And I, ne- I didn't feel like, I mean, I could feel like I could talk around what it was, but I didn't feel like I could actually like na- like hammer the nail in on what exactly you guys do. But could you give like an example of like one of those, I guess, like disruptive technologies just because it still seems like pretty abstract, like at least in my mind. So yeah. like what's an example of what a disruptive technology would look like? Yeah. So yeah, I'll just talk about like AMD for this example. Mm-hmm. We just shipped out a product for them that will be in their product roadmap for all of their chips 2024 onwards um which we're now in that's crazy that's awesome awesome. (laughs) but it was optimized battery charging so you know how like on even on your iphones when you plug in there's a certain rate at which it charges at night it'll charge a lot slower because it's gotten used to how your charging like behavior is yeah i've seen that little notification yeah yeah exactly so we built that for laptops at a larger scale so we built different machine learning models that once you first got your AMD laptop, you'd, you know, do your thing. And over a couple months, it'll learn your behaviors. And based on that, so if it knows, like, in the middle of the day, you're going to be really busy. And if you plug in, that means you need a lot of charge really fast. So it will speed up the charging process. It may hurt your battery slightly, but it's more value to you. At night, you plugged it in. It realizes it's 8 p.m., 9 p.m. You usually don't do work after this time. All right, we're going to slowly, nice and easily charge it over six to seven hours Make sure the battery life is good, like everything is smooth, and then you guys can start in the morning. And every individual user is different. Like maybe you guys work in the middle of the night. You're like at 3 a.m. You're like doing whatever you're doing, and other people are sleeping. So like the entire point was using machine learning to build something that would work specifically for the user. Like that's an example. Okay, dude. Yeah, I was I was a little confused about D Lab before because it's in the College of Business, but it's like a software thing, right? It's more of a CS thing. Yeah. Um. So that's why I'm assuming you joined it, right? Because you're a CS major. So yeah, um, it takes up a lot of your time now. So what's like your position in D Lab now? Yeah, so now I'm executive director. Like that's the official position title, which means I help run the entire thing. Right. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's not a big job at all. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so when you first join, it's not that bad. I promise. Yeah. Like it's it's not even like I wouldn't say it's bad. Like I thoroughly enjoy what I do, so it's not like bad by any means. It's just a time sink. That's all. Uh, But when you first join, it's like manageable when I first joined, you know, 10, 15, 20 hours a week, things that college students can manage. Uh, When you join senior leadership positions, you kind of like move through the organization. And at the very top, it takes up a lot more time than you would expect. But like if you got to this point, you love it, you care about it, you're fine putting in all that time. Yeah. One thing that like, dude, I, 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 so, okay, a little bit of context for, I mean, obviously, you know, but like everyone listening probably wouldn't, is somehow... Uh, you saw as a mech e major and me as a finance major and you as a CS major, you were assigned to be both of our mentors for PCT, <laughs> which yeah. is, which is so sense. funny. I mean, I actually feel like it was good. It was a good match, but just on paper, it's like, huh? Yeah. Like, like what, why would that Like, work? why does, what's going on here? And, uh, at least on that. So like on our coffee chat, like, I mean, I've told you this before, but like, there was a lot that I took from it and I guess you're like full perspective just because you have a lot I would say the like spectrum of life experience you have is like a lot like wider than a lot of other people considering like you've dabbled in this, you've yeah, dabbled in that. that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I've thought about this at length because I'm like, okay, how like does he have the perspective to be able to 
I guess, provide these insights that I don't have. But one thing that like I'd, I'd always thought about is why, and like, we'll, we'll tie in, we'll contextualize it with the marketing agency, is why are you putting in so much time for an organization like this? Because you had something that a lot of people were like, if I had, some, if I had a business that was generating money, like what else do I need, you know? But, and we'll contextualize it, but you left that to like serve like a greater purpose, like as we were just talking about before this. So I guess like why, why are you like so passionate about this? Like what like really gets you going about D-Lab to be able to put in this many hours a week? That's a great question. I Like I've always thought of that, like why do I do this? Yeah. I think something people always miss, right? Especially when they talk in an entrepreneurship context, it like their main focus tends to be on money, you know, improving cash flow, increasing revenue, building efficiency, and not enough on actual impact. Because in the beginning, the f- enjoyment of starting a new business or starting, you know, your own endeavor, that will hold you over for six months, a year, a year and six months. But like once you reach that one year, two year mark, you're like, what am I actually like doing? You know, you start making money, you can like continue to grow that business and you, more money comes in. But like at some point you're like, am I happy with this? Am I gaining anything? Am I changing other people's lives? Like, is anything of value coming from this? And um, if the business you started originally develops that value and you're like truly tied to it, like all power to you, you're great. I didn't feel that way when I originally started, like at the end of that point, like I loved the idea of starting a business. I loved what I ran, but at a certain point I wanted to like feel like I'm changing like lives, like actually changing lives. And so D-Lab one, the students in the org, their lives, I, at least I feel, truly get changed because they come in. A lot of them are like freshmen, sophomore. Like they have no idea what they're doing. They're like, I just entered. And UIUC is a top five CS school. Business is also incredible. It's like top 15 in the country too, at least in public schools. Um, and they're like, okay, but what do I do now? Like I'm here. Like what happens? And Disruption Lab at least allows them to explore it and like gives them something to choose. This is their passion. This is what they're going to work on. And then they go off and they do like absolutely incredible things and like that's i was like yes i love that and it's amazing you get to see like it's instant gratification you get to see like the kids actually learn and grow like real time in front of yeah yeah and and grow um but you mentioned one thing obviously about like your business that you had before um can you contextualize that a little bit that was the other thing that we were saying we want to talk about so Um, you mentioned the name earlier. What Scope 16. Scope 16. <laughs> Scope 16. Yeah. Let's hear, let's wait, hear wait, about it. Let's hear wait, about no, yeah. How'd you get the name first and yeah, then dive into yeah, what it is? But yeah. I'd imagine, how old were you? I was 16. Oh, so okay. you're, is that where the 16, that's where the 16 you, comes you're, from? You're, you were probably just, you, you had a co-founder, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'd imagine you guys were probably just like, this is a dope name, bro. This is so 100%. Sick. Like we were so <laughs> proud of that name. I can't tell you guys. Yeah, that's how we got overdue, right? We're like, dope yeah. name. This no, is we were, uh, so yeah, we were scrolling through like Travis Scott songs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not, no wait, way. Yeah. Or Metro. But Metro, 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 bit, Metro, yeah. Metro. My bad. And uh, with like. Bro, overdose so hard, bro. Bro, like, no way. That's, that's how. We <laughs> that's got, actually yeah. where this name. Comes. We we were sitting yeah. in a study room in Aces Library, and we figured that out. Yes. Um, but, but anyways, anyways, yeah. sorry. Get in, get Oh yeah, um, yeah. So I ran it. Well, I started it with one of my closest friends. He's still one of my closest friends. Uh, his name's Jared. Jared Curry. You guys can look him up. You'll see like his big, beautiful Instagram page because he still runs it, and he runs it far bigger than when I was a part of it. Um, but. Yeah, we started when we were both 16 back in high school. I think that puts us like sophomore year of high school, sophomore, junior year, somewhere in between there. Um, and 
I don't exactly remember why we called it scope. I think we just started like literally Googling like, okay, we want the number 16 in there. And like, we just saw some companies with numbers in it, like look dope. We're like, okay, so like what fits like marketing or whatever. And we ended up like sticking to scope because we're like, yeah, we help you like scope in on your target audience. <laughs> and then it's a we, cool like, world. It's a cool world. It too. is. It is. And, and then like our like first business card was literally like a sniper scope uh with like a 16 in it and like we're like this is the coolest thing ever we're like so high tech it's a dope ass company but yeah that's where that name came from yeah dude and then what i guess what exactly did you guys do because it was uh it was wasn't an smma like yeah essentially that's like that's how we started it was fully smma um yeah what is sorry what's an smma social media marketing agency Uh, that's essentially what it stands for and that's it came from the fact at that time me and jared were like heavily in like how can we make money like that's all we cared about it was less about impact i want to start a business like all entrepreneurship like that was like far from what we wanted it was like how can we make money and we did like shopify drop shipping which like was whack it was horrible <laughs> it was really bad um, but from that we heard about facebook ads like we used them a little bit didn't use them incredibly but at least we saw like there is power here there's impact here and we're like okay all these like local companies i, I was, we were in edison back then edison new jersey like very like central like suburban new jersey so there's a lot of like mom and pop shops nearby and like all types of different industries so we're like okay these guys don't know how to use facebook ads at all and at that time this was like i don't know 2016 17 Mm -hmm. like facebook ads still hadn't exploded to the level that they are now where they're like extremely oversaturated um so then we're like yes we want to make an impact we'll make money doing this we'll sell a service and yeah that's kind of how we like got started in it dude dude that's like wait what at that age was like I guess, because, like, at that age, I was just playing baseball and, like, basketball, like, with my friends, you know? But, like, what, I guess, like, caught your eye where you're, like, oh, like, I want to get into, like, I want to make money. Like, was there, there was it, like, seeing somebody else had it? Or was it, like, like seeing, re- well, I guess there, was, there wasn't even reels back then. Yeah, but, like, there were no for reels. now, for now, it's really easy for kids to see reels and be, like, oh, I got to start making money. Like, yeah. everybody else is, even though they're, like, 14. Yeah. Um, I guess, like, what was, like, what got you into it? What, what, like, what wanted you to do it at the beginning? you hitting me with these hard questions i'm trying to i think honestly like truthfully from when i was extremely young like fifth grade mm-hmm. what got me into money was investing my family was like from like a more investment banking like type background i heard them talking about it there was the whole you know financial crisis and all of that and i was like you know what loki this is dope like this is like a cool world to be in and like i always talk about this is my biggest uh, we started like paper trading when i was in fifth grade <laughs> and i invested in netflix back then like with fake money, with like my paper mm-hmm. money, but like I had like a whole thesis as a fifth grader. I'm like, oh yeah, this is gonna like change the world. This is when Netflix was still like shipping DVDs to people. Were you guys? How old are you guys? Why do uh, I feel I old know. as fuck? Wait, when I mean, I you got two this. years on us. Yeah, yeah. Why do I feel old as fuck talking about this, dude? When I got on Netflix, it was the way it is now. I don't really. Yeah, I know Netflix was a Netflix like, used to like they used to just thing, ship yeah. de- like when they were like taking over Blockbuster. What they would do is like ship DVDs to people, and you just order online. It would be shipped, and then you just mail it back. And, like, that was their original business model. Yeah, and then yeah. I take it... Oh, they, they definitely did not explode, right? Like, that's not what happened, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, like, so, yeah, obviously, that's, like, stock exploded. Obviously, I made no, like, actual money, but I was like, you know what? I'm a genius. I want to actually make money. Yeah. And, like, since then, I just started following, like, like traditional entrepreneurs like Gary Vee or, like, Iman Ghazi or, like, very traditional at that time. Like, they were just coming up. Yeah. Uh, like, Ty Lopez. Like, people like that. Or even, like... People in the leadership space, Simon Sinek, incredible guy. Um, but like, yeah, and I was like, okay, at some point it just became, we have to do this. 
And Jared's family was like from a very business oriented family. His family runs a funeral home. And like all his life, he's like, I hate school. I never want to do this shit again. <laughs> I'm going to run a business. And so like it, we just kind of came together because of that. That's, that's cool. That's awesome, bro. Yeah. yeah. At least just having somebody else that's like in it with you like makes it so much easier. Because yeah. like for us to be able to like bounce ideas off for each other for this, like, hey, what do you think about that? What do you think about that? And be able to like fuel off of each other is such a powerful way to like keep going. Yeah. You know, when like you're pushing in that friction of like month two and like you still haven't seen profit yet and you have somebody else to like keep you accountable, like that's like that that's the times yeah. like that like really like to push through that friction at the beginning. But did you guys encounter some of that? Where you're like, maybe, because I'd imagine, what, like 16-year-olds going into mom-and-pop stores. Some people might be like, oh, I want to give them an opportunity because they're young. But some people might be like, they're young. I'm not going to give them any, like, why would, I, why would I let them run my Facebook ads? Like, did you guys run into a lot of no's at the beginning? Yeah, a huge amount of no's. And it didn't help that one, it's not like I'm tall now. I'm like 5'10", but I was like 5'6", <laughs> back then. And right, you got 5'8 like, and 5'7 five, uh, five, across from you. <laughs> no, but Jared was also like 5'4". Like, five, oh, like, yeah. like, we were like small and we looked young. Like, we looked properly, like, childish at that point. Um, and... Yeah, so we would go into companies, like companies, like things like, for example, we always talk about this, our very first ever pitch was to a lawyer. Uh, we went into a lawyer's office, we just like cold emailed him, like, hey, you know, he didn't know we were like 16, we're, like, we have this awesome idea, Facebook ads help you bring in more clients, um, we're like, yeah, let's come in and like pitch about it. So we got like hella dressed up for this, like, like <laughs> we put on like suits and shit, we're like, yeah, we're gonna like go in there and like wow him, and dude, like. <laughs> We walked in there and dude said, is this a school project or something? Like, what is going on? He's like, are your, like, parents coming back with you? Or, like, what, like, what are you guys doing here? Um, and, like, we tried pitching him on the idea of Facebook ads. And at that time, like, Facebook ads as a concept. It wasn't even the fact that we were, like, young and inexperienced. Is that concept was not very prevalent. It was, like, a hard thing for people to comprehend how, like, marketing funnels work and how, like, ads will result in actual revenue and how they could be a part of it. Because ads was, like very antiquated thing it's like oh it's only on tv or billboards or newspapers or not so we had to explain that while also saying yeah we don't have like any like testimonials for you we don't have anything to, like back what we're saying but like trust us trust us we're gonna like <laughs> give you so much money i take it he did not in fact trust you. no he did not in fact we got like low-key kicked out <laughs> he's like yeah. all right nice talking to you you guys gotta head out i'm like hella busy right now like, that type of vibe damn bro. how long how long did it take before like you were getting consistent like success like with clients probably like six to eight months if not more damn okay what uh, kept you what kept you motivated then like you and jared money just yeah like honestly like truly money. like money to some extent i think it was also like all to ego to some extent too okay. it's just like okay we can like we can do this like at some point we we're just banging our head against it forcibly like doing the same thing over and over again and making no progress when we should have been refining our process uh, but we did that over time but at first it was like one, I remember we were so sad after that first meeting. It was just like, like, because obviously, uh, well, we'd done relatively well in school. Like, academically, we were not in a bad place. And it's very rare to, like, experience a lot of rejection at a young age. A lot of people are like, oh, just try this. Just keep trying this. Like, or this participation. Like, there's a lot of, like, you will not be, like, hardcore rejected. You're still a kid. You can keep doing whatever you want. So we entered a world of, oh, wait, you're actually going to get hardcore rejected. People are going to tell you to fuck off. Um, wait, am I allowed to curse? Yeah, no, you're good. Yeah, you're good. You're good. Yeah. Yeah. But people will tell you to fuck off and like, it was a new experience to us and we're like, well, how could that happen to us? We need to learn how to make this better. 
we like there was another guy back then. His name's Billy Wilson. He like was a big SMA guy. So we like bought his course. We did like everything. Like let's improve our like pitch, our process. And like little by little, like each time the no became softer and softer. It was like okay, like maybe like it went from like what the fuck are you talking about? Okay, you know what? I'll call you back in a little bit to like oh you, this might actually be a good idea. Let me talk to everyone to the point where like people actually started like believing what we were doing. And these no's were not for like lots of money. It's not like we're like, oh, give us thousands of dollars. We'll like help you. We were literally like low key pitching free trials. We're like, all right, we will give you our services for free. All you need to do is pay for the Facebook ads themselves, a couple hundred dollars. And that was hard enough of a sell. And then eventually like, it was just like from hard no on that to when we moved on from free trials. So then we're like, okay, our services cost X amount of money plus the Facebook ads. And like, this is our contract. This is our structure. So it was a long process from there to there, but like it took, yeah, six to eight months to a year probably. Damn. Okay. Dude, that's awesome. That that is so awesome. Yeah. What uh, I, there's like a lot of like things that I like I want to go down down on here, but I know you like mentioned buying a course, and also I'd imagine that you were just using all the resources you had when it came to learning. What were some of those like? What were some of those biggest resources that you did use to maybe get a little bit better at the pitch or understand a little bit more about how to actually run the ads? Or, but like, it could be, you know, tactical or also like some of the more like persuasive techniques as well. Like, where did you go to find those things? Yeah, I think personally, based off that experience, almost all information on the internet is not amazing on like in this realm of sales. Like the entire idea of a sales script is so antiquated. It does not work at all because sales is just like this. It's literally just a conversation. What you're trying to do is bring impact to the other person and make it feel like no matter how much money they spend with you, they're getting far more value. And if you sit like with a script, okay, so, and like you try to like deal, oh, so you said this, so I'm going to say this back to you. You like make zero progress. And so we started off with a lot of scripts. Like we bought courses, we like Googled online, like how to sell things. Um, and it was just a bunch of scripts and that would result in when we didn't have an answer to something they said and it wasn't on the script, we just sit there like idiots. Um, we're <laughs> Six, like, oh. 16, 16 year old idiots. Yeah, literally like, oh yeah, we didn't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you, my bad. <laughs> it would be something like that. And what really helped is having those kind of as like a baseline. Cause when you start from zero, you need like some research, some script, just to like read, understand like, okay, this is generally what people with more experience than us say uh, they need to like, you need to do. Uh, but you need to understand those scripts are built to like sell, built to like endear to people that really don't know what they want to do and feel like like education or coursework is the only way to go about things. Mm -hmm. When like truly, I think experiential experiential learning is the best way to go about it, which is what Disruption Lab is, which is like why I went down this route. But that's what we did with with Scope Sixteen when we started. It was just all right, this went shit, let's go back. Okay, this is why it went bad. We didn't have an answer to this type of question. We were not as confident. We like came in over, like we would like analyze every little aspect and then change one more thing for the next. And you would in, encounter like very different personality types. Some people are like very harsh, like very straight to the point. Some people are like kind of baby us, like, like think of us as children and you got to handle those very differently. So like my entire recommendation is maybe get a course or maybe at this point, like in today, like this was back then where there was very little free information, live off the free information and actually just start doing shit. Cause you guys probably know this too. You guys probably Googled like how to start a podcast. Like what do I need? What <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. but when you actually started doing it, was it not very different from what you Googled and like you learned a lot? Yeah. There's it? no like manual to like teach you how to do it. You have to just kind of like learn from experiences. Yeah. I, yeah. I, yeah. I see it with this so much, but also I thought I would be okay at sales. Yeah. And then 
because I had to watch all the sales content, like Hormozy stuff, you know? Yeah, yeah. And then I actually, like, I had a sales job over the summer. And then the first time when you knock, like, I did door, I did door-to-door sales, which was rough. <laughs> and, like, the first time I knock on that door, everything just flies out the window. Because I learned more from that first knocking on that door than I did the hours of videos I'd watched before. 100%. And it's, like, such a lesson that, like, really, like, hit, came true to me, like, in that moment, which was... uh. Which was like great to actually feel, and then like this, you don't learn it until you're actually doing it, and you learn more by actually doing it, which is. And with this, like, I mean, the learning just doesn't end. Like every time, like every after this episode, we're probably gonna go back and be like, "All right, we did that wrong. All right, we're gonna have to change that." And yeah. We're we're yet to find the like the constant rhythm. Yeah, I, I spent like fi- uh, ten hours this weekend learning about color spaces, color gamuts, oh, like wow. conversion lots, and all this stuff that I didn't even know what the word was. Like yeah, a week I don't ago. know what those are. Yeah, he was it, trying to explain it to me. I still don't know <laughs> what it is. But I mean, it's cool though, because in many ways, it's more important that I am the product of my work more than the product. You know, and the fact that I could use this language in a conversation and actually understand what all of it is is like the ultimate outcome of it now. And I, t- I take it you probably got that a little bit with. When you're that young and you get that much rejection that early, like you get very calloused to rejection. Yes. Right. And also, like I'd imagine your interpersonal skills, your social, like how how you're able and just have a regular conversation. So when you are the head of an organization like Disruption Lab, it's a lot easier to have those hard conversations to tell a person like, hey, like this needs to get done. Yeah. Because you've been doing it for like years. Like, have you seen that translate over? Yeah, it's like a great point that you made. I think me growing through disruption lab a lot of it was because of my experience running this business and when we first did it it, it's not like i ran like a massive company i was like a ceo of something big or like it was still like very small in like the grand scheme of things but even that very small experience allows me to run something far bigger with far bigger like impact and scale and like these like small experiences even if they go to shit are so beneficial to growing and like helping you get to the point where you want to. And like in the startup space, everyone talks about this. Like every like famous startup founder you could ever think of, they had like six failed startups right before then. And they took those learnings and like built something actually real. And I think this was like my version of that to some extent. Yeah, dude, that's all. That's one thing that it's funny how you went from that like one dimensional money goal to now it's make an impact. And not only is your goal to make an impact, you've demonstrated that through leaving, you sold your stake in the marketing agency. Yes, right? yes. And you, you spoke with your I words. I would have made so much well, money if I stayed. If I stayed, yeah. that company like exploded. It got bought up by another company and Jared's obviously doing incredible. But yeah. I take it you probably, at least from our conversation, it seemed like you knew that that was going to happen when you did make your decision, right? You, you knew that it was still going to go well. It's not like this thing was burning down yeah, yeah. and you're like, oh, I got to get out because I see that this is the better path. It was more of, hey, like, this is a great thing that I can do. But, you know, like, my heart is more in this, like, make an impact thing. And I want to, you know, like, give it up and, like, go to something else. So along that, like, I don't want to say journey because I was a little corny. But, like, along, the, yeah, whatever, along that journey of, like, scale, <laughs> like, scaling the marketing agency, when did your North Star kind of shift from money to impact? Bro, you guys have a great question. This is dope. Okay. Um, I, like, I'm, I'm curious. Yeah, so it's not like, I'm yeah. curious too now, now that I think about it. It was probably gradual, I'd imagine. Yeah, it was more gradual than anything. I think once we started seeing some success with our business uh, and things became like more of a routine. It's my, it's my sister. Sounds like it's you my sister. <laughs> this is like the only person that I like. That, like 
it's my sister do you want to like no 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 no. it's good it's good it's good um but yeah like once we got to a point of success almost and we're like bringing in clients free trials kind of went out the window and like we're making decent money and like things are progressing i realized okay things will progress but what is my long-term vision of this and i think um there's this managing partner at sequoia capital i forgot his name but his entire thesis and framework is thinking 5, 10, 15, 20 steps ahead. And the decisions that you're making to get to the point you want to be there is what you're doing right now going to lead you to that path, like those 20 steps ahead path. Um, And I kind of like had that like mental shift. It's like, okay, fine. This company will continue to grow. It'll do amazing. I'm sure it'll do amazing. But is this something like, is this what I wanted for my life? Like, will it end here? And that will be that. And I will just move on. And like, I will like retire in peace like this. And it came down to, no, like I will truly not be happy no matter how much that company scaled, no matter like how much money like ended up flowing in at some point I would hate my life and I'd be like, bro, this sucks. Yeah. I want to do something else. I don't want to run Facebook ads anymore. Bro. <laughs> yeah. Like, please, <laughs> I don't want to do this anymore. Uh, I don't want to like sell people on Facebook ads. I don't want to build marketing funnels. Like it's great. At some point I was like, I want what I do like to actually either impact like individual people's lives at a much broader scale um, or to like fundamentally change an entire industry with how things work. Cause like, I wouldn't say like SMMA or that is like entrepreneurship. It's more just being a business owner. Actually, I, I characterize entrepreneurship as like actually changing people's lives, whether that's businesses lives, like individual people's lives, like somebody's life is actually positively deeply impacted by something you did that like did not exist before. Which yeah. is why I'm a CS major now. And like, I was like, this is what will be perfect for me. Yeah. Not a marketing major. So clearly it wasn't your passion. <laughs> CS plus advertising. CS plus advertising. <laughs> yeah. I kept it. I kept it. Yeah. A little bit of residue. So. Uh, wait, when did you, when did you sell it then? Um, was uh, this my right state before college? Before, yeah. well, I was, I spent my freshman year back home during COVID. Like, right. so I did not, like, I was not on college, but by the time I got to campus, I, I sold it. Okay. Okay. Damn boy. Yeah. And also to give a little bit more context um, of like how probably hard a decision that was to make, um, you guys were servicing a lot of clients, right? Yeah. And you were like giving them a lot of very positive results. Like what was like, I saw like right before this, what was the return on, I don't know if it was like the return on ad spend or something. Yeah, it was return on ad spend. Yeah, what was like ROAS, right? Yeah, ROAS. Like like, what was the ROAS for like your average customer? Like if you know off the top of your head. It was a lot, right? It was a it, yeah. It would range like probably on the low end from like three x to four x to like more like ten to twelve, uh, ROAS, and that's revenue. Like it's not like that's direct profit, yeah. but like still, like it was it was a huge benefit to them. Um, so yeah, it was like it was going great. It was it was going good. Yeah, 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 yeah. And to like have that much value, because like you're get, you're getting so much like external validation too of like this works and like yeah. I'm good at this, and like. Yeah, no, that, that's a, did you have to make any like hard conversations, whether it was with Jared, right? Yeah. Whether it was with Jared or maybe with your family, I don't know if like any, any of those like conversations needed to happen, but were there any that was like kind of rough? Yeah, I think with Jared in particular, I think it was probably the roughest thing. Cause I mean, we started together, like it was supposed to be like, you know, like we, we like see it through to the end. Um, and in startups, I'm pretty sure the number one thing that causes startups to fail is actually like co-founder disagreements. Uh, like I think that's like documented as the number one thing that makes most startups fail. You guys are good. You guys are fine. 
<laughs> I'm not just. I'm not trying to like act. This scary. man's instigating. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not trying to do that. But like, it's very, very true. And maybe you guys have like sensed it to some ex- extent. As you guys grow, maybe you'll have divergent paths, or maybe you'll be like, I want this podcast to go this way. I want it to go this way. And over time, I'm sure everyone will come together and figure it out. But at some point, it's like your path is this, my path is this, and like it just does not work. And like I don't see. And the way we handle in the beginning was kind of clashing within the business with the types of clients we take on or the way we do our business processes, the type of people we hire. I want it to be more technology focused, while the other Jared's focus was more on the marketing side or like continuing to grow that pipeline. I'm like, okay, I want to like start shifting more to the technology side. And then we like clash there. And I'm like, eventually, it's like it just does not work. We we. We do, like we do not fit, and there's nothing wrong with it. Hard ass conversation. It takes a couple months. You get over it. You're back to being best friends. It's fine. Yeah, like yeah. the Tupac quote. I uh, what, I still want to see you eat, just not at my table. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. You should you should you should have just hit him with that one line. And then, yeah, and honestly, then, I should have done left. that, and we'd be would be good. Yeah, everything would have been cool. Yeah. Um, that's yeah. good though. That's so. That's that's funny. Bro. <laughs> yeah, no, because I mean, well, obviously we're like laughing now, but like that, yeah, that must have been like a hard it conversation. Because yeah, well. at that point, like the business is like everything, right? Like yeah. you guys are putting any free time you have into yeah. that, and then it's like, hey, I'm yeah, hey, dude, like, 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 <laughs> like, I'm sorry, I got, I got to peace out. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was rough, but like I think we both ended up doing things that we're very happy with. The Jared continued growing it, and I, I think he loves the business. He loves what he does. So he's continuing that around. I love what I do. And like, we're still like really close friends. We're thinking about going to spring break together, things like that. Like, we're yeah, still dude, good that, friends. That's awesome. Bro. So it worked yeah. out. Yeah, yeah it worked that's out. Good. It that's worked good. out. That's awesome, bro. That's a, uh, one thing that you talked about, like a little bit like, on, like what is entrepreneurship to you a little bit? Um, we, we talked about this, like, again, like on our coffee chat about, and this was actually, so, I mean, I texted you about it afterwards that like, I felt like you like provided a good perspective for me on this. Bro, I love it's, that text. Like, it made me, like, happy. I was like, bro, I actually, like, I had No, like, one. well, because, like, I guess I had never been given that perspective, and it was something that I thought about for, like, a few days. Like, you know when you, like, you just kind of get someone says something, it just, like, clicks? Yeah. And it was basically along the lines of entrepreneurship isn't what a lot of people consider it to be. And a lot of people think that entrepreneurship is going to bring this freedom, this money, and everything is going to be stress-free. Like, you're working for yourself. But in reality, you're still you can still easily be working for other people, especially if it's some you raise funds, then you have stakeholders and well, my, or stakeholders, shareholders, whatever it may be, and you act, like you're in a lot of ways you're under pressure by them, and like you're not gonna have that freedom unless you guys have that backdoor net worth that you could always go back to. So, what are some misconceptions about entrepreneurship that you think maybe some people don't realize? Or lessons that you've learned about what it actually is. Yeah, uh, I think you kind of like hit the nail on the head here that the idea of entrepreneurship is freedom is so incredibly overplayed. I think it becomes freedom, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 years down the line. But that first most of your life goes into you giving everything that you have to this company Um, and at some point, whether it's a client facing business, so let's say like even scope 16, it wasn't like we had like so many shareholders or something like (laughs) VC money or like nothing like that, but you're still servicing clients. And at some point you're low key a slave to your clients. You're like, okay, I need to be on top of all of these calls, all these things. And it is not freedom. It is probably 10 times harder than working a nine to five job. And like the whole demonization of nine to five, I think is also crazy. I think it's 
very beneficial for some people and it provides a great perspective even for entrepreneurs uh, but the whole idea that i'm doing entrepreneurship for freedom for like to control my own life and do whatever i want you will not do like you will spend a majority of the very beginning of your life just selling yourself and like slaving away to this business and you'll love it but it's not you will not have freedom like your family life will suffer relationships will suffer all other aspects of your life will suffer and it's not just me it's not like i've run billion dollar companies <laughs> like listen to any like yeah. podcast about in relation to like a billionaire talking about this all of them have suffered incredibly to get to the point that they're at and entrepreneurship like freedom as the main reason you want to do entrepreneurship just join like do a nine to five you can like find a place with great work-life balance make an impact like things will be great don't do it because you want freedom yeah there's a i remember i had a conversation um about like it, like i don't know i'd heard it like online or something about like some real estate company yeah and i think they were like a developer and they, they build companies for some major corporation um like all across the country yeah and that was the big that, that was our big source of income because it's some like big corporation and every year they host like that corporation hosts an annual conference that people from the company would obviously go to and then that whole time you kind of like got to like butter up all the people there the whole time because you need to secure that deal. Otherwise you might be out of a job next year. Yeah. And it's that pressure that that's got to be painful more than anything else. And maybe that is more painful than a nine to five. In many cases, that's going to be the case. And there is a certain degree of benefits that you can get from that nine to five that a lot of people don't recognize. Like you're, you're someone that literally gave up the like entrepreneurship thing for i mean you're gonna be is it atlassian atlassian right and oh yeah like yeah we could go down this a little bit i guess what do you what do you want to get out of that when that's all said and done and what what are the big things that you want to take away from that experience like being at a big tech company like atlassian yeah yeah and the most for those of you guys watching um or listening yeah you saw just had class so hello everyone it's just gonna be me and suyash for the next 30 minutes that is literally the most college thing ever um, so don't judge us if the quality dips because esar is gone yeah bro well what he's got do? a discussion mandatory discussion <laughs> you know nothing's truly mandatory but yeah anyways as you were saying what do you want to get out of atlassian yes what do i want to get out of atlassian it, like i was saying i don't i haven't given up on the whole entrepreneurship dream i want to build something in the tech space and it kind of ties back to my whole idea of impact i feel like the reason I chose CS and I kept my advertising because I thought it was cool, but the reason was I would be able to build something using computer science that actually makes an impact with people. And Disruption Lab helped me find blockchain as like my main thing. Atlassian is not a blockchain company, but they are a large tech firm that has you know major dominance when it comes to like enterprise like B two B software products. And I worked there. I loved it. I interned there. I, it was a great experience. And the people that worked there have experience from every major tech company you could ever imagine. They're from Meta, they're from Google, they're from Amazon, they're from Netflix, Apple, like they're from all over the place. Um, and working alongside them and building products that every Fortune 500 company uses and like seeing what it takes to build those products will help me once I build my own company, actually like know what it takes to make it in that world. So like that's what I'm yeah. looking for. That that's one thing that I hear. So I mean, one of our close friends, like Rohan Harani. Do you know who that is? Yeah. I don't know. He was he was in PGN last year. Um, we've we've had him on a couple times as well as like Grant Hale. Uh, these are some of our friends that are like working at those like big three consulting firms. Yeah. And I was talking to Rohan when he just started, and he was like, "Dude, like 
everyone here is so smart and like you get everybody some from everyone's from such different like walks of life too he was telling me how one of his co-workers was one of the top do you know what katan is it's like a board yeah guy. yeah yeah it's one of the top ranked katan players in the oh nation. that's crazy and it's like where where, where are these people you know <laughs> and just the, like the diversity of talent you get like in all different domains of life is yeah. just super impressive which i mean yeah like the network not in any like shallow way yeah but the network is something that's gonna be awesome to be able to get out of it uh, one thing again like i have a like i have a lot of friends that are like oh like this, I, I actually I'll, I'll just ask this question too because i know there's a lot of people that are curious to get the answer on this okay um i have a lot of friends that literally i'll just put it raw like they would want to get into disruption lab and obviously it's like a hard process because you guys do want like the cream of the crop like the people that care the most about it and also like the most proven i guess what does like somebody need to like get into disruption <laughs> lab or like what's what steps would you give for them to prep themselves in like the best way possible and are these like primarily technical friends like they want to do software development mm -hmm. or are they like more on the business side of things um let's go tech first all right tech yeah. first yeah on the software development side of things it's hard like truly genuinely it's hard and me and like the rest of the senior leadership team always say, would we like actually make it in now if we tried to get in now versus when we did? Um, biggest thing I would say is on your resume, if you don't have, you know, internships, research or whatnot, we have a four stage process, I think right now, application review. So a written application plus your resume, uh, then there's a technical interview then there's a group interview, how you work in a group setting. And then there's finally a behavioral interview. And finally, you get into Disruption Lab. A lot of um, barriers to entry, bro. A lot of, <laughs> it's just because our clients expect a lot from us and the type of like dedication and work we put in a Disruption Lab is intensive. So we want to make sure the students that come in get the most from it. So if you're kind of like half-assed applying to it, like, oh, it seems cool, like, let me try. It'll be very hard for you to get in versus, you know what, I came to all our info nights. I went to the technical interview workshop. I went to all these events. I understand fundamentally what disruption lab is i talk to me talk to other people in d-lab i get it and you apply and you tailor your application questions based on that and your own personal experience even if you don't have a huge amount of like internships or projects or whatnot we 100 percent factor that in and then from that point onwards it's just your skill set and in that i would say practice lead code i think I think lead code is maybe a more flawed way of doing technical interviews. And I think we're trying to change that disruption lab too, so that we can get a more like comprehensive view. Because for example, one of the best engineers to come out of D lab, his name is John Wan, John Wan Park. He's worked at Solana. He's worked at like all these like incredible places, incredible blockchain engineer. Um, he was not great at lead code. Like he was never like a big lead code guy, but still one of the best like web developers, software developers I've ever come across. Um, and if we filtered people like him out with our lead code, it hurts the disruption lab. It hurts these people. Like it, it hurts everyone across the board, but lead code to some extent is at least a good proxy for development skill. So practice your lead code, <laughs> come to our technical interview workshop, do some projects, fill up your resume. And then when you do your written application, like an individual person reads through every single application we have at Disruption Lab. I read through a lot of them. Other people like in the senior leadership team, like actually read through everything that you say. It's not just like some computer that like, like screens people out. If you put an effort into your application responses, genuinely show that you like care about joining the org, you'll be, you should be able to like make it through the process. Yeah, because I, I know that at least from just like conversations with people, it's like it's hard. 
to get in. Yeah. And, but like that makes sense because like with some of the clients that you guys are working with, you need to have complete and utter confidence to put them in front exactly. of these companies. Exactly. Like once we say like you are a part of Disruption Lab, like that has its own value and like we need to screen for that to some extent. Yeah. How, how do you... Well, I mean, you've been doing it, so I take it that's part of the answer since you were like 16, 17, 18. But like, I mean, just before this, you met with some companies and last week met with some companies and you are obviously like you do kind of have the tag of, hey, you're in Disruption Lab. You're also at the University of Illinois. So you do have kind of these proxies of competence as well, but also you're a little little bit younger. So how do you have those conversations and walk in and be like, you know, like, I really need to like kind of like drip confidence like in this and be like how do I how do I communicate in the best way that we as college students can provide you guys value I think I think it comes from being truly proud of the offering that we have at Disruption Lab and you're right like to some extent when we walk into a room it's okay these are college students like yes we have UIUC's backing we have the Geese College of Business's backing we have like some track record that like helps some name that precedes us um, but then it's kind of a fully up to me or like anyone else that's pitching D-Lab to make those rumors or suspicions into actual reality. So you sit across from them, you like do everything that a standard business person would do. You don't focus on the fact, oh, I'm in college and I'm trying to figure shit out. It's, we have our shit figured out. This is how we'll make real impact to you. This is where I come from. This is my background. This is how we've built the structure of Disruption Lab. This is the impact we've made. And at the end of it, people tend to be so impressed and so excited anyways all it does is reaffirm you know the rumors suspicions things that they've held before and they leave it like it doesn't matter that these are college students like these people have actual experience actual knowledge and they can change whatever they impact uh so genuinely it just comes from being confident in what you're capable of delivering and what the in this case disruption lab the org that you're backing is capable of delivering i think that that's kind of the I did sales over the summer, like I had mentioned a little bit yeah. earlier, and it was like door-to-door solar sales, um, and I was just setting appointments, and as I learned more and more and more about the product, it made it easier and easier to sell, and the more faith you have in what you're selling goes such a long way. 100%. And that's something that, so I have a friend that had like a lawn mowing business, where and he would go door-to-door for that, and especially a lot of these entrepreneurs and I'd imagine the same for you when you were going in these mom and pop shops, when you're going in and you're knowing like, Hey, I'm the one that's doing this work. So when I'm communicating the product in many ways, I have direct and complete control over that product. It probably makes it a lot easier to sell. Cause you know, it's all like the more confidence you have in you, the more confidence you have in the product. But now that you're a part of organization, something much bigger, there are other people's actions are in a reflection of yours. Yes. And that's something that's always really interesting to me because for example, this podcast, the quality of the podcast is a reflection of me and other student organizations I'm in. If we throw an event, it's a reflection of me. So, I mean, like, what are, like, what are your thoughts on that? Like, do you feel like, do you ever, hmm, hmm. I'm trying to think about how I exactly want to word this. But I guess I guess what I was going for is, and like this is a question that I'm like I'm, I'm like just curious about. I, I, yeah. I don't want to phrase it in the wrong way. Yeah. Um. But when you have these other people, their actions are going to be a reflection of you. Is it easier to sell or harder to sell? Do you think than like your marketing agency was, considering that other people are the ones that are providing the product? That's another great question. I think it's easier to sell. 
at least based on my like experience with marketing and Disruption Lab in particular, um, Disruption Lab gave me a completely new experience in that the marketing agency was very external focused. How do we sell to clients? How do we bring them in? And since the team was so small, it was not that big of a deal on like how to be a leader, how to be a manager, how to coach people, how to mentor people. That was not a big part of what we did. Uh, now it's expanded. I can't say for how it is now, but back then it, it was it was not like that. Disruption Lab is the complete opposite. It's that, yes, there's a lot of external facing things, but a lot of the work that we do is like day to day internally working with teams, working with managers who manage other managers. And like there's this entire structure built out um, and you can only have trust in what you do and those teams if you're extremely present and on top of everything going on in the organization which is why Disruption Lab tends to take up a lot of my time. And it's something I'm trying to get better at. Um, when I first started as one of the directors of Disruption Lab, I was very focused on efficiency. Okay, so like I'm going to only show up where I'm very necessary. And like, that's it. Like, I'm going to try to like view things from a very high level. When I'm needed, I'll be there. But over time, I realized I cannot truly trust what we do, trust our product or have the people that work for Disruption Lab or work with Disruption Lab believe in me, nor could I believe back in them if I'm not day-to-day present, like in the trenches with them. <laughs> the The previous director, um, his name is Aman, also incredible guy, if you guys ever want to get him on the podcast, genius, genius dude. Um, but his, like, he had this big motto, toil in the trenches alongside <laughs> people. Yeah. Um, and I learned that while being a director of instruction. Like, if you work alongside these people and, like, are with them day to day, help them through their personal issues, their professional issues, and, like, want to, like, truly care about their well-being, it's far easier for you to go to now a company and be like, I know these people. I know how much work they put in. I, I like, I seen it, like, live. They're probably 10 times better than I am if I did this. <laughs> and like, I truly believe that to some extent, like the people within disruption lab, far more technical than me, like far more intelligent in a lot of ways. And I know that because of how like present I'm trying to be. And so when I go to companies, I'm like, you don't even have to worry. Like if you think if you enjoyed speaking to me, there's 10 times like better people within the lab and you will thoroughly like gain from that experience. And when you can say that with like true belief, that's like that's awesome yeah dude. there's so much value to that because it's not even like those like fake sales like where you're kind of like you seem really ingenuine yeah like, like the you know stereotypical car salesman it's like no like they're better they are they're better like genuine and it comes off definitely that's something that like i always do you think that's like the most important thing about leadership is like literally being in the trenches with people because I am, so I'm in charge of like outreach for some organization, getting uh, speakers to come down to speak at one of our conferences. And that was like one of the big things is I'm like, if I'm asking them to do outreach, I need to be doing it too. Because otherwise, why would they do it if I'm not doing it? And just being that role model and like, even just like, because by you doing it, it shows that like you, you are who you say you are, you know? Do you think that that's like one of the biggest like ways to lead or best ways to lead yes and i think you have to balance it with like the idea of micromanaging because there's there's like a very like fine balance mm -hmm. with it because that's that yeah that's a really good point if they if they feel like you're on top of them all the time like everything they do it's like oh i need to be there otherwise you can't get it done it creates this whole sense of where you don't trust them this lack of accountability for them this like you are there not because you care about them and want to help them it's because you don't think they will do a good enough job, which is why you're like on top of them. 
So finding that balance is incredibly crucial. But once you have that balance, being present and like toiling in the trenches with these people is such a huge benefit of leader. It's beneficial to you as a leader because you learn so much from the people around you, but it's also beneficial to them in feeling like you care, you're there, you're a part of this, and their effort and their like impact has meaning. Disruption Lab in particular has so many layers to it. A lot of time, like people are like, what the, f- like, what do you even do? Like, what do you like? You're a director. Like, what do you even do? Like, I'm here doing all of the work. And it's true. To some extent, our software engineers, our leadership, like I say it all the time, they're the backbone of the organization. They do so much work and like, like kudos to them, genuinely kudos to them. Um, but if I'm not alongside everyone and trying to work alongside them, what is the point of my role? Like, why am I even there? What do I, I gain from that? What do they gain from that? Uh, so if I can find a way, which I, I've been trying to do to balance it, be as present as possible whenever I can, um, but not micromanage people and allow their own creativity to flourish, it results in so many positive outcomes for both yourself, the organization, the people. Like it's just like such a great facet of leadership. And so everything's such a fine line. Yes. Where you want to do X and you don't want to do Y. Yes. But then yeah it's like cocky and confident as well like all of these like everything when it comes to leadership is just so walk the tightrope between i think the most beautiful things are built in this gray area and and like there's no like correct answer there's always this like fine line gray area that's what separates like good leaders great leaders people that change like lives and like actually impact them it's all just like a big like blob of gray areas that people find balance in and the more that you accumulate experiences in that gray area the more you understand what is what too yes because i guess kind of when you're like when you when you're in those actions like when you're in those experiences all the time you can decipher what is what like more and more over time and like you slowly become better the last thing that okay this is the last thing that i wanted to touch on is we talked about the metaphor before of like if an airplane's going down like put on your mask before somebody else yes and I know that you had used that in relation to your life, I guess, how you want to end up giving back. So, like, what exactly, well, you want to walk through the metaphor and what exactly does it mean to you? Yeah, yeah. I, I remember that from our coffee chat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's this whole idea of, yes, you want to impact, you want to change lives, you want to help people. Like, that is so important to making it feel like the work you do actually matters. But at some point, you have to take care of yourself first. And, like, that's where this whole metaphor is, like, when a plane is going down, like, every time, like, a flight attendant, like, will explain the whole, like, oxygen mask thing to you, they're like, please put on your own first before trying to assist others. And, like, I think I believe in that to some extent, because it's not really a selfish thing to do. It's not you trying to be selfish, you only care about yourself. The reason you're doing that is, one, you need to make sure you are in a, like, good spot. And in the real world, that's mentally, emotionally, physically, financially, in all of those realms, you yourself are in a good spot before you can feel like you can go out and give back to others. So like if you're financially like struggling, living paycheck to paycheck, it's not your job to like try to figure out a way to give back to the community from a financial perspective. If you want to give back in other ways, like you are very physically able, you want to help out uh, with your time or your ability, that's totally fine. But in the areas where you yourself are struggling, like put on your own oxygen mask first, help yourself get to a certain level Uh, where you feel comfortable and then like give back in those areas yeah man like you uh you can't give anything if you have nothing to give exactly and uh i i yeah that hit home with me too because in many ways that's what i'm trying to do and also if you build a life that you want to live 
it also acts as proof for others that they could live that life as well. And that, I mean, that's like, I feel like that's just one more reason to do it as well, because maybe that's what they need. Maybe it's not like giving them the advice, but they're showing them it's possible. And like, yeah, like, I guess like those are two things that like ring true to me all the time when it comes to putting myself first, not in any selfish way, but because I want the best for them so much that I'm willing to like live a life that's for them, you know? kind of yapping right now um <laughs> no it's good it's yeah. good like i love that that resonated with you because it's something so important that people just do not focus on they think it's selfish like immediately the idea it seems selfish immediately the idea like is like oh you only care about yourself like what what the, what the fuck's going on here but like truly if you cared about the other people you would help yourself you would help your family you would help the people close to you and then you like you'd grow your reach once you make sure you yourself like like literally like in a plane you're sitting next to your mom your brother everything you put on your mask you help your mom you help your brother okay everyone's okay you can you help other people around you you don't even know them but can you help them like that is how you should expand your reach and people are like too focused on okay i need to give back immediately i need to like donate all my money or i need to donate all my time donate all my energy very early on when you can make a far greater impact by like focusing that on yourself or family or close like loved ones and then at a much broader scale impacting. It's selfish if you don't at a broader scale impact afterwards. Yeah. So you have to find once again, gray area, find that balance. It's not like I need to be a billionaire before I can change people's lives. <laughs> it's just you need to find that balance. Yeah, man. Literally everything's a gray area at the end yeah. of the day. As much <laughs> as you could like you could always find one maximum that goes completely against another maximum. Yeah. I, bro, I always say that and I don't have like things to, or like, let me think one where like, oh, like be patient, like it'll end up coming. But at the same time, like you could say something like, hmm, I don't know. Like, you, you know what I mean though? Like you'll hear these, like these phrases that we were growing up with of like live by this phrase. Yeah. But then at the same time, when you have to make that hard decision, like, wait, like mom told me to do this when I was growing up and like, yeah, that supports like going through with this. But at the same time, mom also told me that and like that goes against yeah. it. So it's like, what, what, what do I do? And then when you find out that literally everything's just a gray area decision, it's like, it's hard to figure out what you, what you, what's, what's the actual right move to play on the chessboard, I guess. But yeah, I think we'll wrap, damn, that was terrible, bro. I think we'll wrap it up here though. This has been a good, I don't know. I don't know like How long four, has it been? 45 minutes. 45 minutes? Solid. Damn. I think I know his password, but that would be rough <laughs> if not. But yeah, I guess, is there any like closing messages that like you want to leave with whether it would be like pitching something i don't know like some some of our audiences like i mean some of our previous guests are like oh like if you want to like more like follow me on twitter something like that <laughs> is there anything that you want to pitch or even if it's a disruption lab anything that i guess you want yeah you want what do you what do you want our audience to take away from this yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't say follow me on twitter follow me on like any social media i like i don't think you'll get any value from any of that yeah um what would i pitch I would say, you know what? I'm going to take this opportunity. One, Disruption Lab, incredible opportunity. <laughs> like, genuinely take advantage. No, you said pitch no. something. Oh, yeah. Pitch. No, no. I know. I know. I love it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> genuine opportunity. Like, take advantage of it. Um, like, it's the biggest impact that's ever happened to me in college. Uh, that, another thing. Bro, this is great. This is a great avenue for this. Uh, a lot of my culture, my values, like, where I come from and, like, what I care about came from my family. Uh, like, this whole entrepreneurial mindset, like, like continue to like keep pushing forward, try different things that comes from my family. And it like comes from my mom a lot to some extent. It also comes from my dad, but 
My mom just released a book recently, uh, like beginning, like mid January. It's called Illuminating Shadows. I'm actually going to pitch this Illuminating Shadows. It's on Amazon Prime. Uh, you guys can go buy it. But she worked at JP Morgan Chase. Uh, she was a model. She like uh, modeled for Miss India. She was like a model like internationally here in America, like all over the place. Uh, she worked in the corporate world, executive director, obviously incredible mom, like Everything's great there, but if you guys want like a way more succinct version of stuff I talk about, I get a lot of it, a lot of it from her. There is a book about it. Feel free. It's really cool. It's called Illuminating Shadows. Um, but yeah, that's now that you said pitch something like that's immediately dude. That's came to awesome, mind. bro. Yeah, that's awesome. Like especially as like you get older, it's easier to like not like you know like pursue those like just random projects. Yeah. But that's awesome that your mom like went about doing that. Yeah. I, I may have to buy a copy. Is it I take it it's out already, right? Yeah, it's out already. You literally just look it up on on Amazon and you'll you'll see it. Her, her name's Smitha G. Agarwal, like my last name, but you'll literally see it. And it's, hey, I'll, I'll put it in the description of the video. That's actually dope. Thank yeah, you. Man. No, of course, it. bro. Of course. But wait, wait, I want a closing word. I want a closing sentence. I Do you have a closing sentence? Um not really. Leave us with one actionable that we could do today, tomorrow, this week. Something that you think that when you started improved your life or something that we could do. I would say primarily stop like watching YouTube videos. Stop like like reading about what you want to do and truly like going out and doing whatever it is that you want to do. And it may suck. It probably will suck. You'll probably be really shitty at it. But this whole pursuit of perfection, we need to do it this way, we need to do that way, has resulted in everyone kind of being in a, like a realm of stagnation. So whatever it is, like I know this is like cliche as fuck, but genuinely the biggest impact to my life personally has been even if I'm not good at something, even if I don't have some, a certain experience in something, I went out, I did it. If it went like shit, I learned from it. But like my only like one-liner would be like, just go out and do it. Genuinely just go out and do it. Amen, bro. I learned more from my first sale than I did my 5,000 hours watching exactly. videos on sales. And you could apply that for literally everything. But yeah, I mean, we'll wrap up here. Now, that was a great, great closing point because I feel like that is probably like one of the most important things about life. Um, but yeah, so we'll wrap it up here. Well, thank you. Thank you very much, me, sir. This has been a lot of fun, unfortunately. I mean, the ghost of Esar is still well, here. He, we thank him too. Yeah, break. of course. Of course. <laughs> thank you very much, sir. And uh, yeah, we'll wrap up here for all you guys listening. Thank you. Check out Disruption Lab. Check out the book Illuminating Shadows, yes. which will be in the description below. And yeah, have a great rest of your morning, night, afternoon, whatever it may be. Yeah. Thank you, guys.